died every day waiting for you. Bella, don't be afraid. He can bite you. You're a vampire now. Please stop whining. We're so tired. <laughs> <laughs> book is better podcast we are a clean podcast of a family of four comparing book to film adaptations now i will say clean podcast still talk about adult topics sometimes and uh let's just say those are going to come up some of them are definitely going to come up in this episode uh so let me give a full spoiler alert we are going to spoil all of twilight today we are specifically talking about breaking dawn which is a book and uh breaking dawn part one and breaking dawn part two which was uh which were the two movies it was broken into and so we will be spoiling things from every single part of the twilight uh franchise including breaking dawn in particular so if you haven't read or listened to it then what have you been doing for the last 11 years Mm -hmm. and i don't really feel that bad for you because you clicked on this episode seeing the name of it so and also, do, uh, and are we do... really recommending these books? <laughs> um, okay, that's really fair. I don't know that we are. I think they're fine. What do you think? Mom? They're, like, fine. I don't. The uh-huh. books I'm okay with. The bo- I, I'm okay with the books because I know I'm reading this crazy thing. And, and the books flesh out so much stuff that make more sense mm. in this weird world. So, you know. Not now, to that give my I, final now that I've verdict. read the entire series, I I think I, I was trying to give it a pass. But now that I've read the final book, I think it's fair to say the series is bad. <laughs> well, now you know how this episode is going to No, go. no, there's still Wait things minute, I like about it. There's still already <laughs> things I like about it. Yeah, there's still there were we still redeeming. are done recording this episode. Yeah, the, there um, were still no, there's still things, things I like it, about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into that, let's do our fun facts today. Okay. Ooh. So we're gonna introduce ourselves to you, and we like to share a fun fact about ourselves because why not? So here's today's prompt. Considering that the vampires' special abilities in Twilight were somehow connected to their human personalities and traits, what do you think your vampire ability would be? Uh, so I'm going to go first. My name is Rebecca. I am the daughter slash sister of this group. And I think that my vampire ability would be helping people see a middle ground in ways that they didn't think one existed because I think that that's a good skill I have. I like hearing a conflict or like a struggle that people are having and helping them realize that there's actually a compromise even though they didn't believe there would be one. So mine would be be like a a little more nebulous. Well, like Siobhan in the Breaking Dawn book, like she has a power that she doesn't even think is a power. Of course, I'm willing to hear you out if you think I would have another one, but I'd actually like to hear your power. I am a very theatrical person and uh, the best I could come up with on short notice that I like would be Dazzling Lights. I'm thinking of the X-Men, X-Men Jubilee, mm. kind of flashing all sorts oh, of lights yeah. around, 
Uh, I like the idea that you can maybe you can focus it in the eyes of the your enemy, or you can make it something Ooh. that multiple people can see. Yeah, uh, that would I'm be interesting. I'm a fan. Nameless, nameless podcast host. I am Josiah, <laughs> and I am the brother slash son of the podcast group. You can call me Josiah the Dazzling. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, now I JD. want a, a special nickname. I didn't know we were going to do no, that. No, no, no. You're Rebecca the Conciliator. <laughs> uh, so, Conciliator right, is a potato that, okay. that okay. mediates divorces. Just a slight <laughs> second here. Oh, my gosh. The queen potato was talking to her daughter, <sighs> Princess Potato, who oh. said, Mom, I've fallen in love. And her mother said, oh, you're so young. Who is the man? And he, the princess says, oh, it's Dan Rather, who now what? just aged myself. It's Dan Rather. And her mom says, oh, princess, you can't be with him. He's just a commentator. So, <laughs> so I am Donna, the wife slash mom. And my superpower i think i could talk people into a state of delusion and they would just be so lost in my words they would just faint over oh my gosh <laughs> you would be like a shield like renata that like gets people to walk away from ro except yours would just be like you would talk them into oblivion i would just be rambling on talking and i look it? at them they glaze over and fall down maybe she's more like jasper <laughs> but only jasper able to make people feel confused that's the only emotion (laughs) that he can control my name is tim and i am the husband and father of this wonderful group of loony bin people um Uh oh and my special ability i i'm i'm gonna steal mine i think it's completely wasted on bella i i think i would be the shield i could protect my family Oh, that's so that's sweet. Right. And that's right, Dad. You get it. <laughs> he You're does the protect us. Funny is, yeah. I want to I like take that. care he of does. my family. I love that. Do you want to give us a summary of what happens in these movies slash book? For sure. In Breaking Dawn, one at last, Bella and Edward are getting married. When Jacob finds out that Ooh. Bella wants to spend uh-huh. her honeymoon as a human, he is horrified. For Edward's passion could accidentally kill her. Bella does indeed survive her honeymoon, however. Oh, okay. That's good. Then a new complication arises when she discovers, dun-dun-dun, she's pregnant. (gasps) And the child is growing at an alarming rate. The pregnancy sets the wolves against Bella and Edward, but Jacob, the head wolf, vows to protect his friend. So we end the film with Rebecca having being just beat to death from the inside out by this new baby. <laughs> Me? That what? was not Rebecca. Wait, you Rebecca? just said Rebecca. <laughs> no, wait. Wishful thinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, wait. Because we were Woo! we were unsure for a second if you were joking. Woo. Okay. Yeah, I thought you were making fun of me. And I didn't even hear it. I didn't hear it. We end the movie 
with Bella, who, who has carried this child, growing at this alarming rate, tearing her up from the inside out, being born, <gasps> and Bella, at the last moment, dies. The end. Oh. Or is it? End of series. And <gasps> just when they think it's over, she opens her eyes. <gasps> Breaking Dawn 2. We wait a year with that picture of Bella's eyes, <laughs> red and glaring. <laughs> she awakes as a vampire from her life-threatening labor, and her newborn daughter, Renezme, proves to be very what? special indeed. While Bella adjusts to her new state of being, Renezme experiences accelerated growth. When the Volturi learn of the baby's existence, they declare her to be an abomination and sentence the Cullens to certain death. Bella, Edward, and the rest of the clan seek help from allies around the world to protect their precious oh family. Oh no, there are vampires the all world. over the world? And the Volturi kill all of them, and it's very sad. Oh, it okay, was short. So. It was shorter than the first one. <laughs> uh, they do win. They, they win. Well, win. They don't fight. I guess, yeah. or they don't die. No one dies. There's a trivia about that. Essentially, anymore. it's a net zero. Arena. Oh, yep, yeah, somebody one. dies. Let's talk differences. We've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So we're kind of doing this movie by movie since the book was broken into two movies. I will say Breaking Down the Book was broken up into three sections. First section is Bella. Second section is the only, well, I guess with save a little bit at the end of Eclipse, it's the only part of the series that is narrated by Jacob. And then the third part of Breaking Dawn was narrated by Bella again. I appreciated the different POVs. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. I would have hated that middle part. What could the whole thing have been if they'd done that? Shorter. Mm. I know. It could, It would have been interesting for <laughs> sure. That's true. <laughs> okay. You can't be too poo-poo on all no, of this. And I, I like... I like the beginning of Jacob's POV too. And we'll get yeah. to that. So <clears throat> we're kind of just talking about a few things in Breaking Dawn part one, which covers the first and second sections of the book, Bella's perspective and then Jacob. So a couple of little things, the beginning of the film like omits or changes several things. First of all, because we're outside of Bella's POV, we see the Volturi who are getting a wedding announcement. They don't show up until they're mentioned in the second half of the book, but in the film, we see them a couple times. Jacob in the book sees the wedding announcement and runs away while as in the film, sorry, that's in the film. In the book, Bella has like kind of recounted the fact that he had run away. It's a little unclear as to why. And like Charlie has been trying to put on a search for him and is upset with Billy who did not want to help search for him because he thought Billy was being ridiculous. We then see in the movie Bella breaking in her wedding shoes, but that's at the Cullens' house. In the book, there's a fitting scene that Bella does with Alice, but it's when Bella walks in her home and Charlie is like finishing his tux fitting. So again, we talked about this in the last episode, but Charlie's relationship with Alice was all but cut from yeah. the films, like where he was really close to Alice, which was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Also, we do not make mention of the before car. The book talks about how her truck mysteriously broke down after she agreed to let Edward give her a before car and an after car. I think that that really feels like a scene that E.L. James plucked out and said, that's definitely going to be part of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I have no idea because I've never seen Fifty Shades, but uh, somehow that doesn't show well, her, her boyfriend is a billionaire or whatever. Oh, gotcha. 
We find out in the books that the uh, Mercedes Guardian is the car that was the before car, which is seen in the film, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's not clear. It's kind of like a nod to the books. She's just driving the, the cars. They never really make note of them, but she happens to be in a car in yeah. each movie. Yeah. So. Gotcha. So it's like a, it's like a tank proof car and yeah. it's like this whole joke that Edward thought she was in need of that. And then her after car is a Ferrari, which we also see in the movies, but it's again, not mentioned. There's like a pre-wedding night, big change to the pre-wedding night thing, which again, this is all at the very beginning of the movie. Basically, Edward tells her about how he had killed people when he had left Carlisle temporarily early on in his vampire life. And he's trying to see if she wants to give up on him, which, by the way, he does discuss with her. But it's in the first Twilight book. Yeah. um, And they wait until this movie to discuss it. Instead of that, in the book, they actually talk about the immortal children stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit later and they go through this whole thing. And then Bella has a nightmare in the book. That's way different. That has to do with the immortal children. Um, They really introduce and push that in the book a lot more than they do in the movie. And then in the book, Bella is also registered to go to Dartmouth in the fall as part of their like cover story. Very big changes just to kind of set us off and show that it's going to be quite different. I hadn't read the books in a really long time. So then when I went back, and had just read it again and then watched the movie. I was surprised, like, how much different the beginning yeah. was. I thought the Jacob seeing the announcement was powerful. Most of what you read here, I was okay with. There is a pretty cool yeah. scene in the book with the cars where she stops and these guys are, like, all over the car. You think they're going to be looking at her, but they're really, it's all the car. And isn't that a Mercedes Guardian? And they, t- which it was kind of a fun scene yeah. to read, but I get for the purpose of time, you want to, you couldn't put it in, but I was fine with most of the yeah. changes. I think I just didn't like the whole like Edward sharing yeah. that he killed people. Like that just seems so dumb. At this like, point, she's, o- he was like, she's trying so to talk far. her out of getting married. And yeah. I'm like, why? And I think it makes a lot more sense and it's less manipulative and toxic for him to have talked about it in the first Twilight book as opposed to the night before they get married. Hey, by the way, we're getting ready to get married. I should tell you about my serial killer time. (laughs) Yeah, just just in case I hadn't mentioned it to you before. Oh, my goodness. And you've put up with all the other stuff I've done. And she's like, oh, yeah, kill anyone. I love you. But, Edward, they were all (laughs) bad people. Um, Oh, oh my goodness. Stephanie Meyer, I get it. There's no nuance at all. He's only ever killed bad people. I get it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I also feel like the whole cutting the immortal children nightmare and like that introduction, I think that was just because they really wanted to save that for the second movie and because they decided to split it up. Like I understand why they got rid of it. So, And I do think that they replaced it because in the book it serves as, yes, world building, but it serves as setup to the problem the Volturi is going to have with Renesme, And I think they replace it with the two Volturi scenes in the movie. Mm. So you still have that set up for the ultimate conflict. Yeah. The wedding, it takes place outside wedding and reception. Of course, in the book, the ceremony was inside the house. And then once the actual, you know, once the direct sunlight was gone, they, uh, they take them outside for, for reception. You get more interactions at the wedding on the movie like the school friends talking to Alice and Jasper. They did some, a little bit of that, the dancing they had, showed some dancing, and you see a little bit of Billy and Charlie and Sue. Billy jabs Charlie with his wheelchair 
when he's trying to get something and, you know, they're kind of fighting over Sue a little bit. Yeah. I, by the way, did not catch that in the book until this last time I read yeah. it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's this like whole little thing that she keeps mentioning, mm-hmm. which by the way has zero payoff because of the end. The book is basically like Bella's like, oh, I've ignored my dad. I should talk to him. But I'm sure like, he's okay. There's no resolution. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. You've got the the crazy wedding speeches and you had Emmett making an awkward sex joke and Jessica saying, Oh, you know, Edward liked Bella and Bella loved Edward. And, uh, he didn't go for the head cheerleader. And then Charlie threatens him. Uh (laughs) Alice talks about her fashion issues. Renee sings. So awkward. And then Esme thanks (laughs) parents and all that. But I will say that the interactions with the friends and the this part that they went through with the reception, I liked that. It seemed normal, natural yeah. stuff. Now, maybe maybe most wedding speeches aren't so goofy as like Emmett's and Jessica's, but I liked it because they would show the person talking and then they would show different people in the audience and they look natural. It looked like it was just a natural exchange and it's funny. They're married now and you can make these little jokes. So I, I really thought those were pretty cool additions. Have you ever read Save the Cat? Uh, no. no. It's a flawed book, but it's a good thing to know if you're writing stories as a pe- not as your only tool, but as a tool, a tool in your tool belt. He talks about what he sees as ev- what every movie's outline should be, and part of that outline is fun and games, and that's really stuck with me. As yeah. a uh, as a piece of a plot, whenever you you promise the audience a premise, and the fun and games is the section or sections where you deliver on that promise, even if it's not necessarily directly related to the plot. You usually it's taking something that is related to the plot and expounding upon it because this was your primary promise to the audience, and the audience wants more. So I think that the people who are watching Twilight, the the true fans are going to be invested in Edward and Bella. And, you know, their wedding is a huge deal. So I think that it's more than justified to spend time uh, on this wedding. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some some of the best Twilight scenes are when it is just real life. Anna Kendrick, you know, Charlie talking like normal humans. And I, I think it does speak to the theme and the plot of the movie anyway, it gives you this uh, picture of Bella, Bella's human life, and it's kind of a farewell. I th- I think it is literally a farewell to most of the sure high school characters, right? It is, yeah. and so it's yes, this f- it's like the last time that they're gonna do that. Yeah, so even if everyone doesn't fully know that Bella's gonna get bit, yeah. then it is a farewell to them in multiple ways. The speeches were one of my favorite additions to the movie. I thought it was like Mm -hmm. charming. I actually laughed, like going back and seeing them. I thought you got to see characterization that you get in the book, like books spread out over the four books, but it was just really cool to see it all come together. So I was a big fan of that edition. Because I love when she looks at her and says, go to sleep my love <laughs> they're like oh my it's god it's so awful it's yeah. like so cringy but yeah. the best kind of cringy the best cringy one thing about another thing about the wedding is that Irina <laughs> Irina does not come to the wedding in the book but she does show up at the wedding in the movie mm-hmm. promises mm-hmm. Beha- uh, to behave until getting agitated seeing 
werewolves at the wedding. And I think this is a good change for the movie because it's a visual medium. You get to see mm. her at the wedding and it makes Agreed. more sense yeah. uh, when you see her later. Whereas in the book, I don't think it was horrible that she wasn't at the wedding because you see her name on the page. You know, you see Irina. Irina people are talking about Irina. This is Irina's backstory. This is why. So you get that in the book. But in the movie, I think it was necessary for her to show up at the wedding in person. Agreed. Yeah. I agree because it's been two books at this point or two movies as well since the werewolves right. kill Laurent, which is what caused her to be so upset with him. So I thought it was a good addition. I agree with that. We want to get get past the wedding into the honeymoon. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about sex. Aye, 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 aye. Okay. So after in the movie, uh, Bella and Edward in the movie go through downtown Rio. That does not occur in the book at all. Um, and they arrive at Esme's Island, and there is a little bit more of the sex scene in the movie than there is in the book, because the book, it, like, basically goes to her going out in the water yeah. with him after her minor freakout, and then the next morning, she wakes up. I think this is the payoff for all of those 12 to 13-year-old girls that were waiting for this romance to really blossom into this beautiful time. Well, I think it did pay off because honestly, I don't know if this is like just me or what you guys think about this. I thought the scene on the, like, honestly, everything on the Island mm -hmm. was some of my favorite part of like the entire movie. Honestly, both breaking Dawn movies, I would say the whole like Island section was one of my favorites. I watched Kristen yeah. Stewart play out this character that I'd read on the page yeah. and she absolutely brought it to life. I honestly feel better than she had in some of the other movies. I believed her. I believed what her struggle was and like that she was, you know, nervous and then realized I love the line in the book where it's like, I realized that or I don't know how anyone ever does mm -hmm. this without someone making a commitment like the one Edward made to me. I thought it was like this really sweet nod to like the fact yeah. that they waited and there was payoff for her in that. But just the whole thing. And then afterwards when she's like upset, when Edward sees the bruises, he's so mad, but she actually enjoyed it and then wants to do it again and all. The, and then going into her dream, mm -hmm. literally everything about the island stuff I thought was really when well done. When he goes out to get in the ocean at the beginning and that whole part where she's so nervous and doesn't know what she's doing and she finally just sits down beside the bed at the end of the bed and she's like get a grip get a grip on yourself and you know she's aggravated with alice because she's packed a bunch of, of yes. lace. sleazy clothes yeah a bunch of lace in a bag i think her actual line was don't be a coward right which I don't was be good. a coward it was the dream of any girl to think that that he would do all this and take me out to a deserted island paradise. Oh, yeah. I think you're right on the mark, Rebecca. It's, it just, it gets every girl at that, at the heart of this fairy tale. Now, would I have ever wanted your dad to go to all that expense and all the, uh -huh. you know, whatever? No, I, I would never expect that. He loves me and I, I don't need all that extra fluff. Josh, if you're listening to this. You can go ahead and buy me a private island. Mm -hmm. okay. I think I think this whole section also speaks to uh, Meyer's morality. She yeah. she makes it very clear that in the bounds of marriage, this is a beautiful thing, and sharing yourself with someone and, and all of those kinds of things mm -hmm. are all in the right context. 
And I think she makes it something beautiful. You know, at the time, supposedly Kristen and Robert were dating, you know, through all that time of filming and they had a a real life romance, which I'm sure just completely blew the money that made this thing made off the chart. Every trivia part or fun fact I read, all of them included a section that was like the sex scenes that they filmed, they had to cut and back off so much they were totally rated R. At least one part of one scene got an R rating and they had to go back to the editing and edit it out some stuff. We go to the scenes where essentially we switch over to Jacob's section of the book. When he learns that Bella has come home, I think that it's fascinating that they did not include anything in the film where Edward told Jacob to offer Bella that she could have puppies if she wanted to, which is like super creepy and awful in the book, Mm. but it goes to (laughs) speak to like Edward's desperation. And honestly, like the whole, I'll just like briefly cover this because I thought this was really interesting. Honestly, the whole section about her growth and like Bella getting sicker and sicker, Edward is way meaner in the movie Like, Mm -hmm. in the book, he's so overly nice to her. He tries not to guilt her about anything. But, like, there's a scene in the movie where, like, Edward basically forces Carlisle to give Bella a guilt trip because the fetus is incompatible with her her body. Um, And, like, he, they have this whole thing where he, like, yells at her um, about how she's decided to leave him, Mm -hmm. you know, and he didn't have, it wasn't part of his choice and all this stuff. And like, honestly, I don't hate it. I think he's absolutely like, right. If I'm just looking at it from the perspective of like, if this was real, um, but even him offering like to let her have a baby with Jacob and stuff, he's so desperate. He's so distraught. And I guess the changes in the movie maybe were there to show that that was going on. But it definitely feels more in the movie like he was more mean than sad. The pregnancy plot line is when it really clicked for me. I was totally sold in this part of the book when I realized that Stephanie Meyer uh, wrote Bella to be selfless to her Mm -hmm. own detriment on purpose instead of accidentally writing it as her own fantasy or something like that. I, um, cause I, I've heard people make fun of the character of Bella quite callously, um, about sure. wanting to keep her baby alive, even though it is literally killing her, which, uh, yes, if it's, if it's going to kill you, I think that's a serious conversation, but she obviously had an out that she wanted to take in becoming a vampire. But even though it was killing, her, it was causing her all this pain in the meantime, I was re- I was reading the and I guess you kind of get this in the movie. I was reading the book and I realized, oh, everything mm-hmm. that annoyed us about Bella in the first three mm-hmm. books, this is the same character. Yeah. She would <laughs> she would absolutely kill herself to yeah. bring her baby into the world, knowing everything we know about her from previous books. She absolutely would do that. Um, and I also think in a, in a very macabre way, probably non, not a purposeful way on Stephanie Iyer's behalf, but in a very macabre way, I think that Bella going through horrible torment through her pregnancy, very quick pregnancy, but is almost a way to say to all the boyfriends in the audience, hey, isn't it kind of funny to watch this person you hate 
go through terrible pain and suffering. <laughs> I think it has that unintended effect of every every frustration that you've had with Bella, suddenly she is paying for her irrational selflessness, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, especially reading the book, and I guess it was there in the movie, but especially reading the book, it opened my eyes to Bella as a character and the themes surrounding that, her the consequences of her choices actually having consequences. Um, so I, I think one of my favorite plot lines is the surprise, is the twist that she uh, gets pregnant with a half vampire that is killing her from the inside out. At the end of the third movie, she so desperately wanted to help them in that fight. And I kept thinking, Bella, you're the human in this. <laughs> Everybody else involved has power you don't have. Give it a rest. But then, kind of like you just described with seeing this from a selfless person point of view, it dawned on me, oh, everything she loves, her best friend, the love of her life, her this new family, they're all putting themselves in peril. And literally, she can do nothing. So then, the scene where she cuts herself to give that distraction, she's the third wife in the story and all that. I I saw that same thing. It was like, oh. And so I would agree. You get glimpses there that are really good. And I wish I had felt that from the beginning of the series. Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that a third of of the Breaking Dawn book is told from Jacob's point of view, which is absolutely insane mm. to me. When I, I heard it right right before I started reading the book, I heard that that he had a whole section of the book, a whole third of the book, and I had no idea what to expect. What I was expecting, I'll try and keep this brief, but what I was expecting going in was him to be mad about Bella being all killed up by the baby and nothing else. And at first I was pleased because his point of view opens up with um, him taking over the pack. Well, him overcoming his alpha and forming his own pack with the Clearwater siblings. And so that was kind of action packed and it was uh, character driven through his love of uh, Bella, maybe his future love of Renesmee that he doesn't even know yet. Um, but it's driven by his character. It's a big action-packed character moment that starts off his POV in a surprising mm-hmm. way, in an in an exciting way that I was surprised by. And then, you know, he yeah. spends about 10 chapters lamenting how Bella looks, and then I was like, okay, this is more of what I, I expected to be bored by Jacob's POV. So <laughs> the plot, plot picks up a little when Bella has to drink blood which i think was a fun little plot point but on the whole mm-hmm. i do think jacob's point of view in the book is like 75 percent filler that i hate other than the the opening mm. his relationship with rosalie is fun and it's fun to suss out 
Like, what yeah. is Rosalie getting yeah. out of yeah, this? Yeah, like the scene in the book where, where he throws his dog bowl that she gave him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was that in the movie? Oh, it's in the extended version of the movie. Although Jacob's POV was how you experienced the pregnancy, and I didn't really like Jacob's POV on the whole, I think the pregnancy plotline was great. It revealed so much about everyone's characters. It's it's a uh, there's an age there's an age old saying that if uh, if you don't know what to do as a writer in your in your story, break your character's legs. <laughs> And see how everyone reacts to that, and uh, take away their ability, make it make life harder for them to see their character through the reactions to that. And so, Bella's pregnancy, I think, works especially in the book when you get more characterization. But it makes me think, like, oh, Rosalie, why is she so for this? And it, it makes I assume what I get out of it is that she is the one who wanted most to be human out of all the vampires. And so um, she desperately wanted to have a child, and now there's a chance, and um, that's part of it. They're com- pretty complex characters, honestly. The movie did a good job of cutting down Jacob's point of view, cutting down on the Seth and Leah stuff. Honestly, Seth and Leah, it was nice that they joined Jacob's pack, mm-hmm. and so I liked them when they did that. But then after a chapter or two, I just hated Every time we went to Seth or Leah, I was like, this mm-hmm. does not affect the plot. This does not affect the plot. And so it grated on my nerves. And I think the movie kind of improved on yeah. that aspect. That's so interesting. I don't know that I agree with that. I like the actor that played Seth, too. Mm. I I care less about introspection in books going on, prattling on and on about in your inner monologue if it if it's... Like repetitive, I felt like it was very repetitive. But also, I will say that Taylor Lautner, his acting improved in the third movie, and it went back to being bad for these two movies. So that's a negative. <laughs> really? I think, I think he was given bad. I think he is a bad actor, and he was also given bad material. That's so interesting. I thought that he did a pretty decent job. Like, well, and obviously, all of that is in context of like how I feel like he did in the previous movies. I thought he did a decent job. And I actually kind of love like all of the Jacob, Leah, Seth stuff with the other pack. And like, I was like kind of bummed that they took all the stuff out about them patrolling and like Leah talking to him about understanding Bella feeling like a, you know, genetic dead end. And like I did, or understanding Rosalie, I should say, I don't know. I thought that was all really interesting, but. Yeah. How did you feel about the one big wolf scene that was in the movie? It was the mm. tackiest horrors. Yeah. It was so bad. I mean, like everything about it was terrible. It's hard to hear what they're saying. I felt like the dialogue felt really forced. Like the acting was really bad in that mm-hmm. scene. So I'm not a fan of that in the movie. And I was not a fan of like him talking to the wolves later on after the packs are split and they like, I don't know. It was just all of that was not great in the movie to me. No, I agree. So we're saying a scene where no humans appear on the screen (laughs) and it's CG, (laughs) CG wolves (laughs) that that was bad. And I agree with, I agree, by the way, I just think it's funny. Yeah. Our, our super hot. That was bad. (laughs) The, the, 
CG acting was bad. Yeah, the CG acting was really bad. Well, I I think though that that I think that speaks to a good point in talking about like book to movie changes because one of the things that they did was you don't see the wolves in their wolf form nearly as much. You see them in their human forms talking as humans. And I think that when you translate that to the screen, especially we're talking about over a decade ago at this point, CGI wise, especially where the technology was not super convincing, like as much as some of that felt inconsistent, I got it. Like I understood the changes and it made sense. And I, I was like more able to engage with it. Yeah. Just a couple of quick other little things that happened during that period of time. We don't have to talk about these in depth. I just thought they were interesting in the book. For those of you who have only seen the movie, um, there's like a, several discussions between uh, Carlisle and Edward and Alice at one point about how Jacob and Renesmee are very similar. Uh, like the vampires have 25 mm-hmm. chromosome pairs. Humans have 23. They point out that Jacob has 24 chromosome pairs genetically, and they guess that Renesmee does. Um, They also point out, you know, Alice can't see their future, but Edward is able to see their thoughts. So the movie doesn't include any of those discussions. So there's a scene in the movie where Edward first hears her thinking. Um, In the book that when this happens, Jacob was like sitting in the room with them, and Edward like puts his ear up to Bella's belly, and it was like this really crazy thing because Edward had been so distressed about the baby at that point but Jacob like feels like he's losing his mind at that point in the movie or in the book and in the movie he like gets upset and nothing really happens and then they go into Carlisle like asking him like to help them go hunt because they really need to go they're very thirsty whatever and in the book there's this whole scene where Jacob feels like he's losing his mind Edward throws him a set of car keys and he like drives their Aston Martin Vanquish to a nearby mall and like mm. has this like interaction with a girl and he's yeah. like desperately trying to imprint. And again, you're taking out, I understand why you take it out. Don't think it should have been left in, but as the same way as you took out uh, Edward's desperation, I feel like they took out Jacob's desperation as like to shorten the film. And it, mm. again, it, it feels character. like it gives the character so much less depth. Yes. Yeah. I thought the whole section of Bella on the table, she's conscious for most of it until the baby starts coming. And well, even through that, there's consciousness and she kind of goes in and out. But, you know, a lot of stuff goes on. So in the book, you know, Edward is all about her. They've got the the thing about him biting her at major arteries and giving the morphine and things like that. In the film, you know, he cares for Renesmee after he, after he's been able to deliver her. And I think the pace of that is okay. They also had to scale back on this part. Oh, like how gruesome they were? It got too, it got too gr- gruesome for PG-13. I, I do appreciate that they didn't go a lot farther. You know, in the film, Jacob doesn't give her CPR. He does this in the book. They just kind of retooled how each of the people that could be in the room, what they could do. I thought that was handled pretty well. That is a super intense scene. Uh Him injecting the venom, you know, brings out that cool long vial of the silvery liquid and, and injects his venom and they had that ready. And I actually did have a huge problem with the pacing. I felt like it wasn't frantic enough for what was going on. Like the book communicated (laughs) so well that Edward was like flitting around doing everything he could possibly do. 
And the movie was just like, well, I guess we'll inject this and mm. stare at her. Like, it just didn't feel urgent enough. I agree. Yeah. Like, I agree. I don't want it to have been R-rated. I honestly felt like the grossness of, like, her breaking her knees when she fell and then, like, her back breaking and all that stuff was very intense, in my opinion. Like, it grosses me out. So I don't have a problem with toning down the severity, but boy, did I just, I did not understand. And that whole thing, by the way, like Jacob absolutely sees Renesme during that scene and smiles at Bella holding her, which is also inconsistent. Yeah, that's a, that's which a is problem. Because he imprints the first time he sees her, like you imprint on them when you see them. The whole thing just feels slower than it should have been. And mm. it like breaks some of the world building that they had already built in. Interesting. It just, it bothered, it honestly, like I was very annoyed when watching it back. I think that it's valiant that they tried to add in the action scene of the wolves attacking. I don't think it was perfect because the Eclipse movie and book sets up, in my view, the vampires and wolves working together and for it to be so easily tossed aside and I know that there's a little bit of conflict with the wolves, but I didn't love that, oh, yeah, we were a team last movie, and now we're not. And next movie, we are going to be. So it was a little back and forth for me, but I think it was valiant that they tried to add a little a visual action that wasn't necessarily needed in the book, but in the movie made for a better climax. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but I think that was a pretty good change. I like the conflict between the wolves and the Cullens, because there was this whole thing where Ed, or sorry, Jacob just was unsure of like what to feel. He loved her, but he wanted to be able to hate her when she turned to be a vampire. And then the baby thing creates this whole other complication. And then Sam, it, like, I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, I thought it, I thought the movie actually did a, a decent job at altering what was going on to make it feel believable but i do see what you mean it's like you kind of set something up and then reverse it and then reverse it again and it's like it feels like a lot of back and forth that ends up being like the end result is the exact as a reader same and a viewer yes does anybody else feel like the movies just seemed creepy in terms of the whole jacob renesme thing uh, yeah well in the book isn't doesn't some other wolf imprint on a kid yes that was that was something that mm -hmm. my understanding is it's a tiny tidbit that flashes across the screen. You only notice it if you are looking for it. And that's the only mention. Otherwise, I watched mm. the movie at least twice and I didn't even never catch caught it. it. Rebecca told me it was there. Yeah. He does. They do get a little farther in it into the book. Yeah. To just to describe if it's a child, your only concern is their protection and that they're happy. I think they talk about that in Eclipse when Jacob is explaining. Yeah, it, he, that's true. When they talk about Emily and. He's like explaining it to Qu or to Bella because Bella hears that Quill imprinted on Claire yes. and was like, was oh, that's really creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, it's not. I'm in his head. Like, and he explains mm -hmm. that he can hear Quill's thoughts. In the book, the Volturi don't actually show up until till the end. But there's an intro scene and a mid-credit scene where they appear. We see a human sharing Bella and Edward's wedding invite with Oro and the other Volturi. The wedding announcement is mentioned as Alice saw. In the mid-credits, there's a scene where they receive a message from Carlisle uh, to say a new member has been added to the coven. 
Marcus makes a comment that it's a good thing the feud with the Collins is over, at which point Aro says that, of course it isn't. They have something he wants. So they, they, they do a little more foreshadowing of, of what in the mm-hmm. book is just toward the end. You Oh, that's right. The Volturi are part of this story as well. And I think it was absolutely to set up the second film. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because you had to break somewhere. Yeah, and I think the immortal children in the book helps set stuff up. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's better in the movie to set it up as the Volturi being, because they are the villains at the end of the story. Sure. So. Yeah. All right, let's talk about differences in Breaking Dawn Part 2. Yeah, Dawn. so what did you guys notice? That were the most major changes from book to movie. I mean, a lot less happens. True. Um, you know, Bella, it opens up on, on her red eyes. She sees everything and you see the flecks of dust in the air and she hugs Edward in the movie. It shows her as like already controlled. But in the book, she has a little bit, some mood swings and she's, yeah, things are a little less solid. I totally get why they started out the movie with her being a little farther along. A lot has to happen in this movie. You know, I, I can see say, they add in so many people that you need to try to sort out. I can see why they start out here. Does a lot actually happen in this film? Or is it just a bunch of new characters? And do they really need to all yeah. be here? <laughs> True. Yeah, so they actually cut out some of the characters that appear in the book. In the film, there's like several characters that don't even appear, you know, at all. I would say there's probably not a whole lot that happens. I do understand where you're going with that. I did not particularly like that they jumped right into Bella being fine because the fact that she adjusted so quickly was a huge deal. Like Mm. they had been leading up to her crazed newborn thing. it was a bigger deal in the book. Yes. You guys, but she's... Super Bella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I yeah. did agree that not a lot happens in the movie, by the way. It's the people. You have to get through so many people. But I, I do think the book does a better job with, for the first half of the book, and then the latter half uh, is the payoff of, oh, we're so worried about Bella won't be able to see Charlie for a year. We're going to have to go around the world. We have so much blood and storage and stuff like that. And in the book, it takes too long, in my opinion, to get to the Volturi. Um, it takes like 10 chapters before Alice has a vision of the Volturi, which is very annoying to me. But there is a payoff of, oh, Bella's really good at this. And it's surprising instead of, we just need to wrap this up right away. <laughs> I, w- I was going to mention that uh, <laughs> the iconic meme scene of Bella discovering Jacob imprinting on Renesme. Uh there are there's a it's a little different from book to movie. It, essentially the the feeling is the same. I was surprised at how much of the cringy dialogue was taken from the book. Bella yeah. in the book literally says, "You named my baby after the Loch Ness monster?" or something like that. Yeah. I was surprised that was in the book. Yes. It does not translate well at all. It was not a good line to begin with, but it did not translate <laughs> well at all no. to the screen. No. So like the thought about more it, I awkward guess. stuff but... with Jacob and Renezme. Now, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but by the end, without mentioning it, uh, does Bella start calling her Nessie in her own internal monologue? Mm. Are you talking about the book or the film? I think I think by the epilogue of the book, she might refer to her 
as Nessie. That is correct. And I, I do think that that's kind of a cute character moment where she's so opposed to it. But uh, she's coming around. I also thought it was weird that when Bella meets Renesmee for the first time after she's had her first taste of human blood, all the family members in the book like restrain her. They're holding her back. The film just shows her holding the baby and seeing her thoughts. And while it's great that Bella has the self-control, the same thing happens when Charlie is at their house later, a couple days later. They like let her hang out alone with Charlie in the movie, which would never have happened. They were really, really, really cautious about all of that. Yeah. She doesn't change that much visually because they didn't, honestly, in my opinion, do a good job with that. They weren't mm. pale enough. There's not notes of them being cold a lot. None of her vampire changes seem to be particularly impressive in terms of like, well, I guess it's fine if Charlie sees me. Like, why does it matter? What we talked about with Hunger Games, actors in movies are already attractive. <laughs> so it's hard to make them more attractive necessarily. But I, speaking of Charlie, speaking of throwing caution to the wind, uh, I love that they showed the scene I get of Jacob revealing himself to Charlie. Yes. I love it, not in a genuine way, but in an ironic way. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, this is so bad that it's yeah. good sort of way. I just feel like in a five movie series where only in books, only in movies two and three, is there really in an inkling of a question of Jacob or Edward to have that tr love triangle that only applies to two out of five films. It felt like Jacob was just being given things to do that where he could take his shirt off, especially. Twelve-year-old <laughs> girls. <laughs> I do like the moment of, uh, the character moment of Jacob telling Charlie behind everyone's backs. I think that gives him a unique... Yeah. Uh, character moment where everyone was trying to protect Charlie from the Volturi, but Jacob, who maybe doesn't fully understand the threat of the Volturi, he goes out of his way to say, no, Charlie would give his life to know that Bella is okay. And for Jacob to be the only one who believes that is a character moment that I like. The timeline of Renesme aging, um, it really seems to be sped up in the movie so much faster than it is in the book. The passport and everything that, that Bella gets for Renesmee is for a five-year-old when she'll be, actually be about three months old, uh, but she would look like she's five or six. But by the time she's two months old in the movie, she already looks like she could be six years old. Uh, and by the time of the fight in the clearing... In the movie, she looks mm. like she's 10 years old. So, I mean, they <laughs> yeah. really accelerated that. And I have to say, one of the things I really disliked about the movie, CG was different a decade ago. That is the creepiest mm. stuff mm. with the baby. They, why didn't they use a <laughs> baby's really real face and then use a child's 100%. real face? There's just no reason. <laughs> why didn't they use a baby? Yeah. Though? <laughs> it just looks Well, the funny part strange. about that is in the book, they like describe her as looking more like of an adult shape and she's got like a full set of teeth earlier than it seems like she should and stuff like that too. So it's like, okay, if you're going to do all that, I understand. Y'all, in the end credits, there are four or five different actresses. Yeah. 
who are named as Renesmee at different points. Yeah. So they literally use different actresses, mm-hmm. like as the baby, as the younger creepy. kid, as the whatever, and then use yeah. CGI somehow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was really weird. No, was, I agree. It was, it was very weird. It was kind of unforgivable. I don't disagree. Also, another thing I noticed was the the inconsistencies in the movie with Alice and Jasper and the related Jay Jenks thing. So, like, in the film, Alice and Jasper stay for, like, at least a day after she mm-hmm. sees the future thing with the Volturi happening, which is terrifying because in the book, she, like, has to run so that Edward can't hear her thoughts realizing what's going to happen because she doesn't want Aro to know that she's coming. Like, there's this whole lead up to right. that. But it's, like, in the movie, she's they're there for, like, a day and finally run away. Um, also, the book changes the whole thing with like Jay Jenks. Alice leaves a note that's only for Bella in, you know, the book that she tore the page from to leave the note to say they had to leave, they couldn't come back, whatever. She writes Bella a note and in the book it has an address on it and Bella has to like discover what Jay Jenks does. Whereas in the movie, Jay Jenks is a pretty short uh, section of it all. And we find out that like Jasper actually ordered passports with him for Jacob and Renesmee. Because, like, Bella never really knows what he does, and then he just hands her that, the passports. And so they really, like, shorten a lot of that up. But, again, some of it's, like, inconsistent. Like, I don't mind the Jay Jenks stuff being different. But the fact that they stayed longer at the beginning was kind of weird. So uh, I thought that was a really notable thing that didn't make a ton of sense to me. There was a lot more in the book about preventing Aro from knowing that there was a possibility Alice could come back. I didn't love Jay Jenks in the, in the book. What about the new characters? This was like overload of people. Yeah, at some point it just becomes too many people for the audience so to many. keep up with. Which is funny because in the book, they deal with that. In the end of the book, they have a glossary page where all of the vampires yeah. are written down. And in the book, they, they make a joke that Jacob said he was going to require oh. like a glossary or something if they were going to have so many bloodsuckers in the area. And so in the book, physical book there's actually a list which i think is really funny oh that is funny that would have been useful i I listened to the audiobook yeah i think that in the book you get some more backstory and Mm -hmm. characterization on some of the characters uh, whereas in the movie you lose that backstory and characterization for the most part but you gain a visual and i think whenever you have a big cast of characters it's not just movies it's Whenever I do plays and stuff, Mm -hmm. I notice whenever we read through a play, sometimes uh, it just does not translate onto the page when you have a bunch of characters. Audiences, readers just cannot keep everyone separate. And so having that uh, movie visual helps the audience to differentiate, even though I don't think uh, all of the extra characters were needed anyway. Uh, I think that it was kind of an improvement in some way, kind of not in other ways, kind of a wash. The film shows like a French coven. They've got a Japanese vampire who Aro realizes is going to go to join Carlisle. And I kind of didn't get that scene. I understand that it's to set up the Volturi as the bad guys. Yeah, I do really yeah. get that. Like that's why they do it. But don't we know why like it just also Aro, Marcus and Caius do not travel. They do not go places. The fact that they came here for the Cullens was like this huge deal. And so you're telling me that the three of them with two members of the guard. Yeah. Went and found this other dude. For one guy. Yeah. 
But Marcus just wants to die. He's so bored with being a vampire. We love Marcus. <laughs> you do such a good job with that. Yes. It's amazing because I love when he's he, so funny. One of the things I, I've come to wait for when I watch rewatch these is at the very end when they're in the, the fight, mind fight, whatever it ends up being. And the and the two Finally. creepy creepy guys are coming at him and he goes, Finally. It, it's great. I just wait for him. Because I think, Eeyore. oh, poor guy. He's it's Eeyore. So he just wants, just wants to die. Oh, bother. That's what I was thinking. Yes. Eeyore. He's the Eeyore vampire. <laughs> oh, vampire. Okay, can can we get just a roll call? Who liked the fight in Alice's vision? I will start with a resounding love it. A, a plus. <laughs> How did I freaking know that you were going to be that person? What are you talking about? I loved that mm-hmm. fight. I thought it was stupid. It was a dumb waste of time. No, it messed up the whole fight. I was so confused in the theater. I hated it. Rebecca, think about it this way. Every other movie had some climactic fight scene. And even though it was fine the way it went in the book, you put that on film and after I I could have seen people throw tomatoes at the screen if you'd gotten to the end and there was nothing for the new viewer, maybe not the reader. I didn't like how it ended in the book. And nothing for the teenage boy that yeah. had to come as a date for the teenage that's girl. That's right. Hey, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Ugh. I think it's stupid that we needed the action to keep people engaged. It just like, really? I don't know. I just felt like it was so cheap. Because it didn't do any, it wasn't real. I literally think it would have been so much more interesting if they had built in a fight, like a real fight that came to a similar end as the book. The fact that it Mm. was literally a vision and it had nothing to do with anything just made me mad. But nobody died. I think that I think that I loved the vision fight, but what I did not like is that. Uh, the filmmakers kept in the book ending mm-hmm. of bringing in the half vampire, half mm. human. I think that was a horrible deus ex machina in the book. And the fact that they brought it into the movie was still bad. And also it lessened the effect of the vision. Cause I think one of the reasons that Alice's vision of the fight is so effective is because in my head canon, <laughs> uh, without the, half vampire, half human coming in at the very end after the vision fight is over. Uh, Aro, selfishly, because of his own uh, Mm self-preservation, says, okay, yeah, we're actually not going to fight these guys. And but he doesn't say why, you know, he doesn't say, well, we would lose the fight because he's also very conceited, arrogant. He, He is a coward but he doesn't want people to know he's a coward. Yes, he has to maintain the facade. And so I think character moment for Aro, your main villain of the entire series. Um, so that's one of the, that's, I think, I mean, kiss. I get all of that. But again, here's another problem. Alice can't see werewolves, nor can she see half vampires. Mm. There are tons of things in that vision that have to do with Jacob, with Renesmee, that's a, that's a plot with hole. Sam, with Leah, like with all these people. And Seth it's so and Leah inconsistent. Die, right? 
Yes. Okay. Seth, or I know Seth dies. I don't remember if they kill Leah or not, but they start off by killing Carlisle. Like, it's kind of obvious ever, like, once you've seen it the first time, it's like, oh, obviously this was fake. But I, I don't particularly mind the half vampire thing coming in. I think that actually makes sense as to how it resolves things. But I just, yeah, I thought the fight was just, it goes on for so long. It is like, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes or something. Like, it was so long it's for the runtime. It's a five-minute fight. Rebecca? Five? I'll, okay. Oh, my gosh. It felt so much longer. Ugh. I just had an epiphany about this. I'm pretty sure that had the creators oh, no. of La La Land known how you felt about the end of this movie, I bet they would have changed their whole plot. Their whole, I bet the whole thing would have been written differently. And I think this was foreshadowing. You well, giving I bet them that the that would have made the movie yeah. worth watching because La La Land is trash. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I, I knew you La did. I, if know. You let me, I know you like La La Land. It is trash. If you let me go way I kinda, back. I kind of, kind of yeah. like it. Uh, if you let me go way back in history, <laughs> um, <laughs> something you probably never saw, may have never even heard of before, there was um, a television show that ran for a long time. It was very popular. Um, it was called Dallas. And the the <laughs> writers, they were having problems. They were having, yes, we were at yep, Dallas. They were having a, problems. At a so revival. They, they wrote one of the favored characters. They wrote him dying. I uh, think, yeah, the, he was because in a they were thing. they were gone at the end of the season. And so they were going to get back at the show, at the producers and things like that. And they wrote him out of the show. He died at the end. And they wrote them into such a hole uh, that the, very, the next season opened with his wife seeing him come out of the shower, which was the scene at the very beginning of the previous season. And she said, oh, I just had a terrible nightmare and it was the entire mm-hmm. season that had just that had ended before. So that was uh, that was one of those times. But that's different. <laughs> that is different. Trash, trash, trash. <laughs> that's so that dumb. That is different. That was bad. That was horrible. I th- I think if I remember my film, my TV history, that was one of the very first times that writers ever used the it was all a dream yeah, trope. I think it was. So they kind of got away with it with some people. So it wasn't a trope at the time. That was bad. It wasn't necessarily a trope that. at the time. It, w- it was a mistake, but it wasn't necessarily a cliche at the time. Um, yeah. It was a mistake because, oh, we watched a season of television that didn't matter. Uh, whereas in Twilight, it impacts ro's yeah choices, that's true which is the important that's part. true yeah okay. yeah well i know what mom <laughs> thinks i know what josiah thinks daddy what did you think of the fight <sighs> keeping in mind that you and i are supposed to be on a team <laughs> <laughs> no guilt Great. involved here um actually I, uh, I you're have, under the bus i have so many feelings both directions it was it was a nice action scene and all of that stuff. Oh no, it wasn't real, and poor Marcus doesn't get to die because he's so bored with being a vampire. I but I liked the book ending, so I, I'm really I'm really twisted on it. It's like okay, yeah, it was really fun. It was it was good, but it was 
useless in a way, and it was very different than the book ending. And just yeah, yeah. I I would say I liked it. I thought it was good. I'm not sure exactly why they did it, unless they were just trying to get that uh, excitement for the young male audience. You know, and then of course they come to the end. And they wrap it up in this beautiful scene. In the book, at their, it was at their cottage. And Bella has practiced projecting her thoughts out to Edward so he could see them. And in the book, and it reads lovely. That's great. But I did love that they went mm-hmm. back to the meadow. I thought that was great. A great decision. Yeah. I thought that was a good change. And the fact that they closed it out. It was iconic. Yeah. Yes. Meadow. And I thought it was great how they closed it out. And the end credits and the way they went all the way back to people that were only in the first few movies even. But they they picked up all the actors. They gave them all a few shots. I, I thought that was great. I, I liked it. The credits honored all the actors. The credit sequence was surprisingly yeah. lovely. Exactly. It really was. I cry every time. I, Me I too. literally think I hate this series mm-hmm. and I get to the credits and I cry. Yeah, and you don't want you to, don't but you me. do. Right. I agree. Hey, I want to cover some basic info. <laughs> Please don't cut that. Before <laughs> we head as we head into the end of our time together. Rotten Tomatoes, Breaking Dawn one, twenty-five percent mm. not fresh. Breaking Dawn 2, 49%. Interesting because less went on, but maybe it was because the whole thing Which rounds out end. five movies of not yeah, freshness. exactly. <laughs> Going on, looking at audience scores. Flickster, first movie, 60%. Breaking Dawn 2, 70 And I understand the audience. That, that to me, tells me where all the 12 and 13-year-old girls went to give their rating. For a movie of peop- that people didn't like, I am amazed at the amount of money that they made. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> uh, box office and the cost, the production of Breaking Dawn 1. And keep in mind, the first Twilight budget was $37 million. So Breaking Dawn 1, $110 million. Breaking Dawn 2, $120 million. A lot of movies, they're, what's their goal? They want to make a certain percentage in their first weekend. Okay, so 110, 110 million, 120 million. The opening box office weekend in in the U.S. 138 million for the first movie and 141 for the second. So they cleared their production cost just in the opening weekend, which is crazy again because everybody believes these are horrible. So then USA that Canada marketing. Yeah, that's true. Then USA Canada. Breaking Dawn 1, the gross was $281 million. And then Breaking Dawn 2 was $292 million. And then worldwide, $430 million for Breaking Dawn 1. And everybody hold your breath. Breaking Dawn 2, $848 million. And I looked at that again. $848.5 million. That is almost $1.3 <laughs> billion dollars for these two yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Billion with a B. <laughs> and uh, one, oh, one my bit of gosh. trivia that I did not oh. even put in my, I did not even note some of the facts I was looking at because of the money that they made. Uh, Robert and I, I think Kristen, I'm not sure about Taylor, but got like $2.5 million of a bonus beyond what they made. In the last movie, he got $25 million. 
the Breaking Dawn Part 2 worldwide gross, mm. the fact that Breaking Dawn 1 and 2 U.S.-Canada gross is so close, but yeah. the worldwides are so different, that mm-hmm. tells me, Rebecca, that producers directly said, put a big fight in at the end with wolves and vampires so we can make an extra $400,000. Uh, and it worked. $400 million. Did I say thousand? Oh yeah, four hundred so million dollars. You did. Wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it's beyond. I mean, that's oh, right. All right. Well, let us discuss our final verdicts. I want to know what we think about this. So mm-hmm. I wrote a couple of things down as I was making my verdict. Like I love a lot of things and I hate a lot of things. Like a lot of the things I disliked, I vehemently disliked the things I really enjoyed. I really, really yeah. love. There's so many inconsistencies in the movie. It just like Alice shouldn't be able to see them. Bella is, we never talk about why Bella is unable to move. She's completely paralyzed while mm-hmm. she changes to being a vampire. It was because of the morphine. Like, I don't know. There were so many things that just felt like massive gaping plot holes. I just, the whole time I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't make sense. And it really bothered me, like, to have to just feel that over and over. And so, in my opinion, the book was absolutely better than both movies. I actually disagree with the um, Rotten Tomatoes rating. I think that the Breaking Dawn Part 1, I enjoyed a lot, like, for all of the inconsistencies and all the things like that I noticed, I actually liked it yeah. a lot. I think that their beach stuff, like I said, was really well done. All of the characterization there. I think that Jacob and like just getting in with the Cullens and their whole interactions were really interesting. You know, I think her change was done. I think the visuals that they made were really good. So I, I don't hate the movies. And like I said, at the end of the last movie, I literally cry at the stinking credits every single time but yeah i think book book was clearly demonstrably better in this case the fight scene at the end was dumb i don't care what anybody says so that's my verdict it's good that we can agree to disagree that's all right that's what i say but i will agree with you about the book to the movie the books the book's gonna win it here i i i've watched the movies i'll watch the movies again Sorry, Rebecca, I I do disagree about the fight scene at the end, but I get where you're coming from. Well, I think for for me, I definitely liked the book, um, which is kind of amazing. I saw the movie first, and then I went back and watched the movie another time just before I I listened to the audio book. And I just, I liked the extra detail. Um, I get that the visual medium is always, you know, you're condensing it all. And I think they did a decent job of going from one to the other. But I, I like the detail in the book. The book is better. I think that I'm going to split it again like I did with the last uh, episode. I was captivated <laughs> by the beginning of the novel. I um, loved the wedding scene. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you all a question. Can you guess in the first chapter of the book what made me tear up? Was it when Renee was talking to Bella? Wow, you sniped it. That's exactly it. When for a few for a few paragraphs, it's setting up that Charlie is kind of smug about. Well, Renee will talk her out of it then, and then she goes to talk to Renee about getting married, mm-hmm. and Renee 
she's expecting Renee to be like, marriage is the worst. Men are the worst. But then she says, oh, no, that's me. My problem. I have problems because I'm a bad person when it comes to marriage. But you are obviously prepared for this. You are obviously in love. And I did tear up at that. It was a nice surprise. I was. I don't think that was in the movie or I, I didn't. They didn't make a big deal out of it if it was. No, it wasn't. Yeah, and no, so that so. was a very no. nice surprise. Um, I really loved the beginning of the book. And even though Jacob's point of view dragged on, I thought that the book was genuinely great up until Bella became a vampire. And the movie felt like part one of the final book. So I definitely give the Breaking Dawn part one to the book, but Bella going on for 10. I ca- I think it's more than 10 chapters as a vampire before Alice has a vision of the Volturi. There's no conflict. The Volturi are the conflict of Breaking Dawn, and they don't come in until like the final 10 chapters. There's 10 chapters, and there's so much before that 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 the movie condenses. I would disagree that there's no conflict. Because they do try to introduce being afraid about Renesmee's well-being as the conflict. Like, that, that it was scary that she was aging mystery. so fast. And they were, yeah. It's certainly an interesting mystery, both when she is, when Bella is pregnant and when Renesmee is born. It's an interesting mystery. I don't know how much of a conflict it is. It's just like, oh, yeah, I like figuring out what this mystery is, what Stephanie Meyer is just deciding about little vampire-human hybrids. But um, uh, with a little, I felt like there was a little more focus on Charlie. I felt like you condensed the going slow parts of the latter half of the book. I feel like the fight was a huge improvement. And even with all of the bad stuff in the movie, whether it was in the book or not, I'm still going to edge it out for the movie for part two being better. All right. Wow. Is that everybody's? That's everybody's. That's all of us. It's okay that not all of you are correct in your in your uh, decisions here, how you rate yeah. things, but I'll let it go because we're a family. Well, mom also thinks that the fight scene was good, yes, so yes, yes. you know what I mean? Like, not everybody can be right all the time. Well, um, I know, know it's a hard burden to carry, Here's so I don't... Here's what I say to that, Rebecca, that <laughs> we can be found most places online as at book is better pod to send feedback or future ideas. We can be found <laughs> ideas for future episodes. Email book is better pod at gmail.com. I'm very offended. Listen, you are not allowed to steal my thunder quite that big. So uh, I guess we'll leave you there. It's been really great to, to do this whole series with you guys. But if I'm being honest, I'm really glad to move on oh. uh, to something a little bit different. And I hope that everybody else is excited too. I'm glad to have experienced it. Agreed. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. I love you guys. Be sure to watch out for our first bonus episode that comes out next Friday, where we interview a real-life author about the process of taking his vision and putting it onto the page. We'll resume with regular episodes the next week, discussing the Polar Express. We have got an episode every single Friday in December for you as our Christmas gift to you. Thanks again for listening. I don't know where I am. (laughs) We're such a spy drama.